Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash w-a-n-t-p-o-w-e-r. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubel, MD, episode number 64. Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight so you can feel better and have the life you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Hey there, my friend. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to bring to you today an interview. I haven't done one in ages, and I am super excited to bring you this great information. When I was in Miraval in Arizona a couple months ago, the person that I interviewed was also speaking there, and she was so great. I immediately reached out to her and said, I have to have you on my podcast for sure. So I was so glad to be able to have her come on and share some of her great information with all of you. Her name is Aparna Iyer. She is an adjunct assistant professor at UT Southwestern in Dallas. She's a board certified psychiatrist and a psychodynamic psychotherapist. And she has sort of developed this special interest in physician mental health and particularly as it relates to loneliness. And I thought that this was a perfect topic that would go hand in hand with the friendship podcast that I did a little while back. And I wanted to make sure to have her come on and really talk about why it's so important to build these connections, have camaraderie with our fellow physicians. So please enjoy this interview and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, Aparna, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am super excited to have you on. A little while ago, like maybe a couple months ago, I did a podcast on friends and friendship and why that's important. Mm-hmm. But once I heard you speak on it, it was like, <laughs> I just 
skim the surface and you really get into the depths of this and why it's so important. And so I'm so excited to have you here so we can really explain to everybody why it's so important to develop friendships, especially with other physicians as physicians, right? Like everybody needs friends, but even more so doctors. So super excited to talk to you about that today. What I want to start off with though is you just telling us a little bit about yourself and the path that led you to this work. So I have had an interest in physician wellness for a long time and moved from New York to my current hometown of Dallas, which is where I established a private practice. The thing is that when I first started working with physicians, it seemed like most of the physicians I was working with were in some state of crisis. They had not really sought mental health treatment, maybe didn't feel like they needed it until they realized that they were in that sort of crisis. And maybe they were having, at that point, more severe symptoms of major depression, burnout, that sort of thing. So when I moved to Dallas, I thought that maybe I could take my interest in physician wellness to another level and start working more on a preventative approach And part of that was looking at my private physician patients that I would see in my private practice and really kind of nailing down some common themes that I heard. So I started looking at several of those themes, but the one that kind of came up pretty consistently was about loneliness, a lack of connectedness to other people, but especially other physicians. Did you ask me to tell you about myself? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You have to say, though, that you are how many months pregnant? Eight months pregnant? I am now eight months pregnant. Eight months pregnant. So you don't have to remember anything. (laughs) You get the full pass. (laughs) Yes, eight months pregnant. And so it has been a bit of a balancing act. And sometimes I do get a little bird brained. But so let me let me take a step back and tell you that I'm a adult psychiatrist. I'm board certified in psychiatry and neurology. And I also had worked on faculty in upstate New York, which is where I trained, had a wonderful experience in academics, had a wonderful experience counseling and providing psychiatric care to physicians at all levels of training, medical students, residents, fellows, and attendings. And even the attendings were looking to kind of start transitioning into a retired state. And then just, I'm pretty passionate about other parts of psychiatry as well. I work with a lot of perinatal patients, so patients who are dealing with mental health issues during pregnancy, postpartum, or even during infertility struggles and loss. So really passionate about what I do, but I think one of the coolest things that I do is that I do something called dynamic therapy, which is a form of therapy that I was trained in during my residency and has just kind of followed me through. It seems to really benefit my patients, no matter what our modality of treatment is. It seems like that really gives me sort of an insider view of what somebody's struggling with. But yeah, and so now I've, I've moved to Dallas. It's been about two, a little over two years, and I love the weather. <laughs> I, bet. I live in Wisconsin, so uh, yes, <laughs> I get I it. Understand. Yeah, so that's really great. It was kind of a cool opportunity to meet new people here and start a new chapter in our lives, especially with a young family. It seems like it's a great family-friendly place, really diverse, but there are a lot of physicians who are like me out here who are sort of transplants from other places in the country and even in the world that, you know, speaking of our topic of like the lack of connection and loneliness, it felt like that was 
pretty prevalent amongst many people here because they moved away from their families and their friends to kind of pursue their profession here. Yeah. I think that, you know, you really bond with your residency coworkers, you know, the people you do residency with, and it's pretty common for those people to all move away. Like the majority, I mean, pretty much my residency friends are all gone. Like I, I'm still in the same place, but everyone else has, has moved away. So I think it's a, a real issue. I mean, lots of people in different kinds of jobs move around, but I think for physicians in particular, it's... It's true because we move away from our support system a lot of time to pursue medical training, residency, fellowship, and then your first job, you know, you're kind of geographically going to be separated from the people you grew up with or maybe the people you had gotten close to. And then you're right after residency, some people go on to pursue fellowships or they want to move closer to family. So we're, it seems like we're always in this transitional state Mm -hmm. and it's hard to maintain those social connections if you move far away. Right. Exactly. And then you have a busy life, right? Because when you're working a lot of hours, you might be starting a family and just trying to keep all those things afloat. It's like finding the time to make a phone call to a friend can be sometimes low on the list, even though we really need it. It just doesn't end up being high priority. So do you think that loneliness amongst physicians is like a newish thing or just kind of with our society, that's more of an issue? Or do you think it was always there and people just weren't talking about it? It's a good question. I think it was probably always there and we are starting to pay more and more attention to it now just because words like burnout and my mom's generation of physicians, you know, they didn't, they didn't have those words necessarily. They didn't know how to describe it. So when we say burnout, it seems to be this umbrella term. And now we're, we're starting to kind of like look underneath that and say, well, what could be contributing? And so we're starting to identify that loneliness and this lack of kind of support or connection is a big piece of it. But just because we're identifying that now doesn't mean that it's just starting now. I think it's probably always been there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I also think too that that there's an element of just people finally being willing to talk about these things. I think in the past, people just put their nose to the grindstone and they worked. But at the same time, back when I was still in practice, the older doctors would talk about how when they were young like us, you know, how they would meet for breakfast at the hospital with the OBs and the pediatricians and neonatologists, like everybody would all get together and eat breakfast together. And then they'd go off and do their thing. And they might see each other in the hospital more often and kind of interact more. And that completely has gone away. Everyone's just kind of doing their thing, passing by. You don't even know who these doctors are. It's not such a tight-knit community. And I wonder if there's some element of that as well, where it's just gotten so big and specialized that people just don't have those deep connections that they continue to foster as they go on for whatever reason, you know, everyone gets to daycare, you know. You know, I was just speaking (laughs) with a uh, program director recently who was talking about how a lot of these CME events, the ones that you go to physically, these big conferences are somehow just not as attended as they used to be. And a lot of that is because a big motivator to go to them was to get the CMEs and social networking was an essential part of being a physician back when, as opposed to now, I can do my CMEs online from exactly. you know, by, by myself out here in my office. Mm-hmm. So if I am an overstressed physician who's just trying to make it through, what would I rather do? Would I rather like, you know, 
close off my clinic for a couple of days and go off to do the CME? Or would I rather do it in between patients here and there? I mean, in, in one way, I can see how that would be much more convenient, but you are definitely losing something. Yeah, you're really missing out on that connection mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. So let's just, you know, get down to basics here. Why is loneliness a problem? Like, why is it something we should care about? What is the issue really with it? So I think that there's a lot of misunderstandings around what exactly loneliness is. Loneliness is a feeling. It's a subjective experience. So for example, if you were to say, see 200 people a day, you were just kind of like around 200 people a day. Whereas I were to see two people, I'm in some really kind of remote part of the world and I see two to three people a day. Objectively speaking, I am more socially isolated than you are. But that doesn't necessarily translate into my being more lonely than you are, okay? So loneliness is really a subjective experience. But just because it's subjective, it's not something we can see or necessarily measure as easily doesn't make it any less dangerous. The reality is that this is a public health issue. It's not just impacting physicians, although I do suspect that it impacts physicians disproportionately compared to other people. It is a major public health issue, I think worldwide, but we're really kind of noticing it and studying it a lot in the Western part of the world to the point that many people are calling it a public health problem to the point that like, you know, about 40% of Americans now are complaining of being lonely. That's huge. It's a lot. It's huge. And it's not necessarily the people you would think. A lot of them are elderly people who are who do tend to be more socially isolated, but it's not all elderly people. There was a study done where when they looked at who was most likely to report feeling lonely, a younger age group, 17 to 24-year-olds, were reporting loneliness more frequently than their counterparts and other age groups. And married people, when you're looking at like a survey of people, over 50% of them are going to be married, the ones who report being lonely. And which seems somewhat counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, the definition is not just being around people. It's about having meaningful connections with people. That's what protects you against loneliness. That's one thing I really wanted to make sure was clear is like the difference between social isolation and loneliness. Mm -hmm. Like you can be around so many people all day long and still feel lonely. But like, yet when I think of loneliness, I think of being alone, right? But it doesn't necessarily have to be that at all. You can be around a lot of people that feel like nobody really knows you or sees you or, and I wonder with the kind of, you know, late teens and early twenties demographic, if part of that is the whole social media thing, absolutely like you can't even really be yourself. If people really knew who you were, then what? And so needing to put on this show or this facade and inside going, nobody even really knows the real me, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. So absolutely. And I also think, you know, making the distinction between being alone versus being lonely is really important because we know with physicians, some of us work technically in isolation. You know, you might have a kind of job where you are solo practice. You don't really do a lot, a ton of interactions with people all day. But many of us are hospital employed. We're seeing other physicians and nurses and patients and support staff all day long. We might go through the day and see hundreds of people, but that doesn't necessarily translate into not feeling lonely. So I think right. it's very relevant to make that point and that distinction especially when it comes to physicians. Yeah. So you have somebody who's lonely, who's a physician, what can that lead to? Like, so, you know, it's like, okay, so you're lonely. So there's other issues that develop from this, right? 
Right. Well, I mean, I guess first off, we can talk about loneliness in general can cause significant health issues. So we know that people who are lonely are more likely than people who are smokers or people who are obese to die a premature death. So it's serious. It's a it's a major issue. Yes. But again, it's not as measurable as, you know, oh, I smoke a pack of cigarettes a day or my BMI is X, Y, or Z. Right. So a lot of times it's kind of seen as an invisible risk factor, but it's a major risk factor nonetheless. And then I should also mention that the people who are likely to have to die a premature death from loneliness. Again, not necessarily what you're expecting. It's not necessarily the elderly. It's actually more the middle-aged group, which is relevant to us because for many of us, that's when we're practicing. We're still mm-hmm. practicing at that age. So, but there are other issues too. You know, and the elderly, it can kind of deal. It can lead to. I think that there's there's an association between that and increased risk for dementia, increased risk for lower mobility, increased risk for lower capability to perform your ADLs. So there are those issues, but there are significant mental health issues that are associated with it. Mm-hmm. So depression, anxiety, so it definitely impacts your mental health. It impacts your ability to be resilient. So that's a big word that we're talking about now, mm-hmm. your ability to kind of cope with stresses and adverse situations. And then this lack of sense of belonging can really increase a risk of suicide which is a big deal. You know, when you're not feeling connected, you're not feeling like you belong to any particular group of people, you don't have those relationships that are protective, then the concern is, you know, are you going to feel as connected and as grounded to people? Are you going to feel like it just doesn't matter if you don't exist? Right. Then the big piece of it too is that loneliness and the lack of social supports has been linked to burnout. Yeah. And so that's a huge huge problem. I mean, I think 50%, right? right, Of physicians at this point will report that they are burned out. Yeah. Which is a huge problem. So how, if, you know, if you're a physician listening to this, how do you know if you have good resilience? Like, is that something that you can kind of like look at yourself and see like how you cope with things and determine that? So it's tough. I'm, I'm not sure that necessarily... I'm not sure that there's a measurable way per se that has significant value in terms of measuring resilience, but it's more about resilience is not something that you either have or you don't have, right? So the good news is we're all born with some degree of resilience. We all have the capacity to deal with stress to some degree, and we can all improve. Resilience can be built. So I think that the focus should not necessarily be on whether you do or don't have it, but how can I continue to grow in building my resilience? Mm -hmm. And so that's really about, you know, I, I should say now that when we talk about burnout, that's not anyone's fault per se. There's a you know real systems mm-hmm. issue in medicine nowadays, unfortunately. And so if people get burnt out, it's not because you did something wrong. But that being said, resilience is definitely a protective factor against burnout. So mm-hmm. I think we should all have a obligation to ourselves, but also to each other as a physician community to kind of build resilience individually and as a group. And how do you do that? How do you build resilience? So there are several ways to do this. I think one of the ways that's really important is really kind of reaching out to your social circle, reaching out to people, making those strong 
connections with other people, knowing when you're struggling and getting some sort of help. So having people that you can rely on is important, but then also knowing when you need to kind of say, hey, I do need some help. I do need some additional support. And some people have told me also that, you know, that's important, but also getting mental health support, that sort of thing. So really kind of knowing when to lean on your supports is a huge thing. And then there are other things that we know how to do also, you know, with regards to being mindful and sort of changing your thoughts around some of the adverse things that you experience. Yeah. So changing your interpretation of some things just by changing your thinking around it. Okay, great. So one last question I want to just ask about with, you know, in, in terms of defining the problem, how does being introverted or extroverted play into this? Because I think that there's a lot of people who think of like the extrovert, extrovert is like the life of the party, you know, is always around people that they wouldn't feel lonely. And then the introvert who likes to, you know, sit in a room and read a book alone would be lonely. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think that it is not as simple as you might think, you know, I think it's more of a complex sort of answer. Just because you're extroverted does not mean that you're more resilient. It does not mean that you're any less lonely. In fact, extroverts, a lot of times do draw their energy from other people. They like to, they might be drawn towards being in crowds, being in groups, whereas an introvert might not feel that way. But again, it's more about the quality rather than the quantity of your relationships. So if I am super popular and I have a thousand friends, I mean, I'm not really sure what that necessarily means in terms of not feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I have two to three friends that I know I can rely on, I feel very connected to, you know, our conversations make me feel supported. That could be done by an introvert or an extrovert. And I think that that is very protective. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really important point that I want to just emphasize is you really just need one friend, right? One really good, strong relationship. And maybe that's a family member. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's someone you work with, whoever it could be. And do you think that that person needs to be in town or can that person be someone who lives across the country? Oh, I think it could be anybody. Yeah. It could be someone who is in town. It could be someone who's across the country. It could be your spouse that maybe you have not been feeling connected to for for quite some time. There was actually a study that was done in kids and it showed kids in a kind of socioeconomically disadvantaged situation. A lot of times having just that one friend at school could make the difference in terms of long-term success versus the kids who just did not feel that sense of meaningful connection to anybody. And the benefits of that, like I mentioned, is it's long-term. It's not just in the here and now. So really, I think that having that sort of connection, wherever you can find it, whether it's through FaceTiming somebody or having the person right next to you is extremely protective. Okay. Now, I was you brought up something that I wanted to ask you about. Do you think it's okay if your close friend is your spouse? Or is it really good to, it's great to have a great, you know, friendship with your spouse. Is it also, do you think it's beneficial to have a good close friendship with somebody who you're not married to or in a, you know, committed relationship to? Yeah. I mean, I think that you want to have a couple, it would be great to have a couple of good friends, but I think it's okay for that person to be your spouse. As I mentioned earlier, just because you're married doesn't necessarily mean that you're not feeling lonely. You could be in a marriage, but that existence of that marriage by itself does not necessarily indicate that you are not lonely or you are lonely. It really is about the quality of that marriage 
And if that person is your person, that's what makes you feel grounded and connected. And that's a really meaningful relationship. I think that that is a, that's a big deal in terms of being protective for your emotional and mental health. But that being said, it doesn't necessarily need to be your spouse or it could be a friend in addition to feeling connected to your spouse. Yeah. Okay, great. I sometimes have had people ask me that question. So I wanted to see what your take was on that. So camaraderie is really important, right? And friendships are important. Now there's going to be people listening who are like, this all sounds great. I'm totally on board, but I, I literally, how am I supposed to find time to make a friend? Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm just supposed to like ask out some random, you know, other female physician. Like, how do I go about actually making a friend or developing this friendship? Yeah. So yes, to randomly ask out another female <laughs> physician, yes, why not? You know, what's so funny is that I have discovered that when you do that, the other person probably needed it more than you did. It's so amazing. But there are a lot of things, you know, so we talked about the distinction between social isolation versus loneliness. But that being said, if you just simply don't have any social connections, you have to start off somewhere. And so kind of building connections with people, that's the beginning. And so, you know, it could be at work. It could be that person that you just kind of smile at every time you pass by her in the hallway and just stopping for a second, having a 30 second conversation with her and just making a connection could be a big deal. Small talk has been shown to be really protective, like 30 seconds of small talk is more powerful in terms of protecting against loneliness than maybe three hours of just kind of browsing Facebook. So that's really important. Yeah, because we tend to really downplay small talk. Like it's just so superficial and doesn't really mean anything, but it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I find that so fascinating about Facebook too, because I think Facebook has been great. Like there's the large physician moms group and those are so wonderful at getting doctors together to connect. And I mean, some of the connections that have been able to be made and the way people are able to help each other. And I think it's, it's amazing, but it's really easy to allow that to turn into your social interaction except you don't know those people. They can't really help you if you need help. They don't even know your phone number like to call you. you And so it's important to make that distinction, I think. Do you think that, what's your opinion on social media and how that's influencing people's meaningful relationships? I think it's a mixed bag. So we know that relationships that are built online can be very powerful and can have real staying value. So even like, say, the couples who have met online, like Match.com or whatever it may be, I think that nowadays, the studies are really kind of saying that they might even be more successful than people who met offline. So just because a relationship started online does not mean that it is any, any way a lesser relationship. In fact, it might be even more. But the point is that there's no substitute for face-to-face time. So I think it's okay to have that kind of social media connection with people, but that can't be your sole outlet socially. You really do have to make the time to meet with people face to face, you know, go out and get that coffee, whatever it may be. Allow yourself to be uncomfortable and actually ask somebody and then be willing to be rejected. That's what I teach, right? There's going to be people who are going to say no, or you're going to try and get coffee with them. And you're going to realize we have nothing in common or I don't even really like this person. And that's okay. You find somebody else. That doesn't mean you can't find a friend or you're destined to be friendless. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Great. You know, you had mentioned what are some of the other things that physicians can do? We, We are busy. I mean, just as a field, 
we have long hours, we have erratic hours, we have a million things to do, even when we're not at work, you know, mm-hmm. calling the plumber, <laughs> going to your kids' soccer games, like there's a zillion things to do. Yeah. And so when you are looking at this and saying, why would I, if I have an hour and I have 500 things to do, why would I go out and get coffee with this girl that, you know, I can somewhat sort of close to, maybe not. But when you reframe that and look at it as, you know, well, you take the time to go to your primary care doctor. You take the time to get the flu shot. You take the time to brush your teeth twice a day. So if we know that this may be even more valuable to your health and your well-being than any of that combined, then why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, I lo- I really like the way that you're that you're putting that because it is so easy to just oh I'll just cancel on her. I've got to get these other things done or whatever you know the whatever it may be. It's yeah, that's that's really really easy. I think to just tell yourself the story that you just don't have time. I mean, I, just to end with a little personal story. So I had a baby that died. I had a full term stillborn a number of years ago, and like after that happened, it was really unbelievable how people came out of the woodwork. Like really people who I didn't know that well, but had fostered some sort of relationship with who ended up being amazing supports for me. And so I can look back on that and realize, you know, if I had really just been too busy for everybody, I really would have felt probably even more isolated. If anything, I didn't feel lonely I felt like I not only had people who wanted to help me, but I even had this core group of people who came out who'd gone through similar experiences. So we even had that shared connection over what it's really like to lose a baby that other people try to understand, you know, but they can't. And so I, for myself, just really see that evidence of how things happen in life, right? Something's going to happen over the course of your life that's going to be not what you expected. It's going to be harder and you're probably going to wish that you could rely on some people to help you. And so when you've spent a little time dedicating yourself to developing some of these friendships, those are the people who are really going to be there for you. And even if they're far away, they're the ones shipping you food and calling you every day and things like that. And it's still so important to do that. So we all like to think that nothing bad's going to happen to us, but like things happen to us, you know? Right, and right. so it's, it's, if you even think about it in that way of, you know, I'm sort of like investing in the bank for, you know, sometime in the future, I don't know when it will be, but I might need to, you know, make a draw on that. And these are going to be those people who are going to be there for me. Sure. Yes. You know, so, yes. Right. Well, and they've done these studies too, about people who have serious medical issues, breast cancer, people who have gone through surgeries, even people who have colds. And when you're looking at the severity of the illness, or the long-term consequences of having that illness, survival rates, and that sort of thing. If you could venture a guess as to who is going to fare better, the people who feel like they have supports and they feel socially connected versus the ones who are just sort of lonely and don't have that, you can imagine what the data says. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. So, you know, I really am just so glad that we could talk about this to make it a little bit more evidence-based to really push people. You don't have friends. <laughs> you need to go and do that. Or you may think you have friends, but you don't have a deep connection with anybody. You don't yes. feel like you can really share what's going on with you or things that you're struggling with or really talk about what it is that you're dealing with. It's important to find that person and not just keep putting it off and thinking it'll just happen on its own. Like you have to actually make some effort to create it. 
Now, yes. I feel like I remember someone saying that you actually set up some meetups for physicians in the Dallas area. I, I do. It was interesting. The way that this started was, like I mentioned, I moved to Dallas and I was quite lonely. I moved out here and did not know a soul. It was during the middle of a winter storm in New York in early 2016. So it felt like it was a big rush. We had, you know, these toddlers running around and my husband's off working and I'm at home with my toddlers and, you know, with a bunch of boxes and we didn't know anybody. And so what I ended up doing was reaching out through social media to local people in Dallas, a physician group, and saying, you know, who wants to get together? Would anyone be interested in just sort of hanging out? We can go out to like dinner, I think was the first first one I put together. Mm-hmm. And the response was overwhelming. It was incredible. Just like throwing out a line to a group of people I'd, I'd never met before in my life. Mm-hmm. We got together and it was just such a powerful experience. A lot of people who also felt similarly lonely and felt like they were missing out on that sort of connection. So these groups, I started doing them once every two to four weeks and putting together these social events and really enjoying meeting people who I really had no connection with previously But there is a similarity there. You know, we kind of go through similar sorts of things in medicine and it was nice to, and many of them were mothers. And so it was really great to have that experience, that shared experience. And these events became more and more well-attended, you know, 20 people, 30 people, 50 people. And then they got to be so big that at some point... I realized that I couldn't even hear the people around me. <laughs> this is really fun, you know. We're we're enjoying this good food, but like nobody can actually like come over the whole restaurant, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, and you know, I could barely talk to the person next to me, let alone the person down the table. Like, yes. So I switched my approach and thought, you know, maybe I'll take advantage of the fact that I really believe in a group, like in, in the therapeutic value of like small groups. And so I put together these small groups monthly where they're basically support groups, they're wellness groups for physician, female physicians only. And what we do is we come in here in my office actually, and there's anywhere between 10 to 13 of us at any given time. We sit around in a circle, shut the door and we just talk and we talk about anything. And it's incredible how these women who are all different ages and all different fields from all different backgrounds, ethnically religiously, whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. can just connect. We have so much in common. Mm -hmm. And that it's... it's We all think that we're like the special snowflake that nobody else, you know, is going through what we're going through. Yes. Yes. And and it's a very powerful thing to have someone say, you know, I'm, I'm just really kind of burned out and I feel lonely. I feel like no one really understands what I'm going through. There's a group of moms who are staying at home with their kids and I admire them. But at the same time, I feel like... I can't necessarily understand what they're going through and they definitely can't understand what I'm going through, but we understand. So it's a very powerful experience. And I think the best part of it is that I have seen how the connections that are made in these groups go on beyond the group. And so afterwards I'm seeing these people become friends and become part of each other's like more permanent social circle. Yeah. So it's been a really great experience. Um, And all it took was for you to just propose dinner. Yes. Right. You didn't set out to have this whole support group kind of a thing going on. You're just like, I would like to meet some people. And I just want to point that out, right? It's just taking one action. I'm going to see what happens from this and then building on that is all it takes. 
Yeah, definitely. Okay. And you had mentioned that some people are not going to be receptive. Some people are unsure of how they feel about it. And they'll mm-hmm. say, well, I've never met her before. I don't know. And for some people, it's taken some time to come around and say, well, you know what? What do I stand to lose? But for every one of those people, there are other people who say, oh, I'm definitely taking this opportunity. Because yeah. I've been waiting for something like this to fall into my lap. Oh, that's so great. I love that. Well, you know, hopefully some other people, similar minded people who are listening to this will decide to take some similar steps and develop something similar with their lo- you know, local area. I think that's great. So I just want to mention that you have written a lot of articles and other writings and things on this subject, and that can all be found on your website, which is www.draparnaiyer.com. So it's a D-R-A-P-A-R-N-A-I-Y-E-R.com. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. And it's a lot of letters. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of letters. All right. Thank you so much, Aparna, for coming on and best of luck with the new baby. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks right. for having me. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Did you know that you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to katrinaubelmd.com and click on free resources. <laughs>